him would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, in the church calendar today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I did some jicking with the uh, sermon schedule. Normally, I would have had a, a Pentecost kind of sermon today. I'm going to do that next week. So uh, today, we're going to talk about um, who's the greatest. And um, this text that uh, Dee read to us has, has this really interesting... Um, statement right in verse 46 his disciples arguing about which of them was the greatest can you just imagine what that was like uh, you know brett says i'm the greatest and rich says no you're not i'm the greatest and you can just see you can just see this tension inside this group of, of men Stephen Lewis said, our society suffers from a debilitating addiction to greatness. Um, for, for a while there, I haven't heard this like in the last few years, but I, I heard people say that their goal in life was to be famous or to work for somebody who was famous. Isn't that just kind of sad that, that that would be the summation of a person's life goals was, would be to either be famous or work for somebody who's famous? Um, we see it in politics. We're seeing it now. We're seeing it in business. Um, who, would, who would ever think in their wildest dreams that we would be talking about billionaires today and being able to, to buy anything that you want to. You can buy a whole corporation for a billion dollars. Um, even in, in church, church, you know, church is, is no different because it's made out of the same raw materials as all these other things. Uh, I, I grew up in, in a tradition that I, I, I've never seen anybody address it, but the, the tradition is that uh, elders are the church leaders, um, and even, even the pastor works for, for them and at, at their whim or their, their will. And it was always interesting to me when a new guy was asked to be an elder totally fascinating. I've wondered what on earth happened to them. Before they were an elder, they were these wonderful, servant-minded, 
submissive, humble people. And when they became elders, something happened to them. And this person that was so humble and so full of helping other people suddenly becomes an authority. And we're going to do it the way I said we ought to do it. Um, I, I just think there's something wrong with that. And it, it's rooted I, somewhere along the line. If you pull the threads out on this, you'll end up back at this, this whole question of who's, who's greatest, who has the most authority, who's the most important, who has the biggest job to do. So looked at that way, this argument among the, the apostles is, is really not so unique. I guess what's shocking and stunning about this conversation to me is the fact that they actually had enough brassiness to be able to actually lay that out on a table and not feel ashamed by it. Not feel ashamed by it. Uh, Luke begins this text with, uh, as I, I said before, an argument arose about who's the greatest. Uh, from, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was completely obvious that there were, there were some people who would, who would find his message very de de uh, desirable, very uh, winsome, attractive, helpful, that just strums the strings of their heart. They're so drawn by this message. There were others who were not. But the Gospels uh, have these little interesting stories. Early in Mark, we're told that Jesus goes to Levi's house. Levi was a tax collector. Now I want to tell you that everybody hated Levi. Hated him. Would rather see him dead because he was a Jew, first of all, who had sold out to the Roman government. And, of course, was always taking a little bit more than what the actual tax bill was for himself. They hated him. And the people that showed up in, in Levi's house who came to this party that he was inviting people to, including Jesus, there were all sorts of other people that started showing up there just like Levi. I, um, Bev and I have become uh, aficionados of a new Netflix series called uh, Plea Someone, Someone Feed Phil, P-H-I-L. Someone Feed Phil. Phil is this guy named uh, Phil Rosenthal, and it's a food program is what it's about. He doesn't show you how to cook food, but he samples food. And uh, this particular episode that we watched last night was in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, we're interested in Brunswick, Maine because our, our grandson is going to Bowdoin College in the fall, and that's in 
very close. Well, Brunswick. No, he was in what town was it? Uh, Port Portland. Portland, Maine is where he was at. Brunswick is 20 miles away. So we were kind of interested in that. One of the things that Phil did in this episode was he went to this house that was an artist's studio colony kind of thing, and everybody that worked in there that did art, that sold art, was Down syndrome or some other sort of learning disability. And, and Phil goes in, and there's a, there was a one woman who looked to be about 40, I don't know, something like that, who, who was witty, and she was Down syndrome, and she was just sharp. And it was, what, it was fun watching her interact with Phil and, and finding somebody in Phil who appreciated her and loved her. And I think that's, that's what Jesus is doing here at Levi's house. You know, he's going to this house in Portland, Maine that sells art. And he's, he's talking to the people. One, one of, the, one of my, my great disappointments is uh, back in, I mean, soul-crushing, great disappointments was when some of our life springers said I can't worship with you and left I just can't imagine that I, I can't imagine I mean that's been several years ago as you as those of you who know about that uh, but just knowing what what God has called us to uh, to treat anybody that way is just mind-blowing to me. Well, the scribes and Pharisees were aghast that Jesus would show up at a place like this. What are you doing there? What are you doing associating with that kind of people? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Glad Memorial Church, but it's, it's this church in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. It's a famous church. And uh, Glad Memorial... Um, I think more than any church I've ever seen before has, has just really embraced this. And so they feed people and they clothe people and they help people find jobs. and they, they, It's this mishmash of every sort of discarded human life that you can find is at Glide Memorial. Well, that's Levi's house. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, and there's an air of, of sarcasm in this, so, so hear this sarcastically. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, Dee, you're, you're self-righteous and you're full of yourself and you're not going to find Jesus' ma message attractive at all. So, so I've not called you. You know, just, just ignore me. I, you know, I, I've, called, I've called Janelle. You know, she'll appreciate my message. Because I'm a sinner. That's, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and you, can, you can hear him saying that. Uh, Rich, privileged, and positioned people cannot see this. 
cannot hear this, cannot receive this message. Our text says that the debate about who was the greatest arose among them. Uh, his disciples began arguing about who was the greatest. So it's, it's a generalized argument that is going on. And I, I really wonder because James and John become the focus of attention uh, in, in Mark. And I wonder, was the group the cause of James and John taking this even farther? Were they, were they saying, well, yeah, I agree with that. Who's the greatest? Who's going to lead this band of people when Jesus is no longer around? And then James and John start saying, well, it's probably going to be me. No, it's going to be me. You can just see how this spread. Uh, not that they lived in a world of, of who's the greatest not only influenced James and John, but it also might have influenced the despair of the disciples beginning with the arrest of, the G of Jesus. Because you see, uh, how could Jesus be the greatest if he's being arrested? How could Jesus be arrested if he's being mistreated in this gross, awful, cruel, terrible way? Nowhere to be found except Peter. They considered the cross signaled ultimate defeat. And I think maybe have been embarrassed by it. Oh dear, you know, we followed this person and look what's happened to him. Arguing about who's the greatest and viewing the cross as a defeat were both parts of the same idea, which is that greatness is measured in human power and position. Uh, so, so Jesus perplexed them. They can't figure him out. Why does he associate with people who are obviously the rejected people of society? Why would he wash our feet? Why does a master do that for his disciples? Why would you bless a prostitute who anoints your feet? The Jews had trouble with this. If you knew who that was, you wouldn't let her touch your feet. Why would you see the obvious ignominy and shame of the cross to be a cause of celebration and joy? Why? The world of opposites is, is made known when Jesus blesses mourners <clears throat> and the meek. Blessed are you who mourn, for you shall see God. Blessed are the meek, for you shall inherit the earth. When he says to deny self rather than promote self, when he says that we should become like children, when the people drawn to Jesus are maimed, blind, and mute. Jesus just obviously has an other's focus. The world, that orientation to the world becomes even more apparent in the development of 
of the outward movement of the church. Uh, th this is so significant and so interesting. First, there's Peter's dream of this sheet of unclean animals. And then there's the diversity of the crowd on Pentecost. People were there from all over the world, the, the known world. There was, after that, the Samaritans. Uh, then there was the eunuch. And it just keeps rippling out, the Gentiles at, a, at, at Syria, Antioch of Syria. And then the people of Turkey and Greece were kind of the next group. And so this gospel just keeps going out and God keeps saying over and over and over again, these are the people that I prefer, these are the people that I love. Um, I, I think the modern day church has just got a question to answer for itself. And that is, uh, who are you going to love? Who's going to who's going to be accepted and not accepted in your fellowship? I love that was so on target what you read to us. Uh, Jesus said the, the last shall be first and the weak shall be strong. God loves to transform weakness. That's what God does. That's when he rises and shines. To embrace what Jesus said over and over throughout his ministry is to have one's vision changed. How I, how I look at people. Christian doesn't embrace CRT or uh, uh, replacement theory. That's not a threat to a Christian. A Christian says, I, I have no, no qualm with, with you being given a seat at the table. Don't you see? It's not a political issue. <clears throat> it's an issue of of where I meet God's people on this planet. So imagine this scenario. <clears throat> You're at a large gathering that is exactly, or extremely diverse. On your right are folks that you know, folks that look like you or me. On the left are people who look scary, like way different, like way different music than you like, dress different, differently than you, have a very difficult or di rather different opinion than you do about things. How do you process that? How, how, do, you, how do you move in that? What questions do you ask yourself? What will you have to do to love them in the same way that Christ loves us? That's probably the biggest question of all. So I, I, uh, I hope you'll, you'll think about that. Who's, who's the greatest? It's an important question to ask. We've already start, started kind of, sort of, to talk about Pentecost today, even though this was a Pentecost sermon about <clears throat> what God set loose in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Let's, let's pray. God of the multitudes, give us a heart like Jesus. May we be compassionate and attracted to those who are not like us. And may we hear God.
at work in them. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.